This is Steve Goodrich, known on the trail as Bird Shooter, and this is N2 Backpacking, a podcast for both hikers and backpackers. Hello, Bird Shooter here, and welcome to episode number 39 of the N2 Backpacking Podcast. Uh, tonight we come to you live from the Grand Canyon after a, a day hiking on the rim in the National Park and also exploring a section of the Arizona Trail in the nearby Kaibab National Forest. Tonight on the show, after a hearty dinner and some brews from the, uh, the pub next door, Therm Rider and I uh, talk about some of the hiking news events of 2016. Have a brief interruption as Park Service Rangers bang on our lodge door in the park and uh, listen in because we're going to talk about some and certainly not all of the hiking events that shaped 2016. And if I get time, in a future episode, we uh, might continue the discussion at another park and with another hiking friend of Bird Shooter. That said, here's the show. This is Bird Shooter, and tonight on the show we are at the Grand Canyon, live with Therm Rider after a day on the trail. And uh, welcome to the show, Therm Rider. Well, thanks for having me. Hey, before we get started on the, uh, the 2016 news event recap, uh, I just wanted to give a quick shout out to some countries that have uh, been downloading the podcast lately, which is, is interesting. Japan. Newly uh, on the list as uh, downloading podcasts, and uh, I don't know how do you how do you say it? Q A T A R, Qatar. Yeah, that's how uh, I guess that's probably right. Middle East um, had some downloads from them. Wow, big ups. That was in December, so just wanted to say that. But anyway, on the show tonight, um, I, I have been following some feeds and. Uh, Wanted to kind of do just a, a recap of some of the big 2016 news events during the year that, that mainly related to hiking and backpacking, right? Um, and these are some of the news events that were heavily discussed. It's certainly not all, and we're certainly going to miss some. Uh, but uh, anyway, these were some newsworthy things, mainly in the United States. Apologies to international listeners. I mainly follow... U.S. blogs and U.S. forums and podcasts, so don't have as much international knowledge. But uh, anyway, so that that's the goal tonight. Um, and thank you, Mr. Thermrider, for being on the show. Oh, pleasure is mine. So, hey, what I thought we'd start out with, it's, it's January, and we're in a national park right now. And uh, a lot of people just um, got some gifts over the holidays, right? They... Uh, uh, hopefully got some cool Christmas gifts, but drones have um, been a major Christmas item the last couple of years. Do you have a drone there, uh, Mr. Thermrider? I do not. You're not a drone guy? I'm not, not a big fan. Gotcha. Of the drones? Of the drones. Oh, really? Yeah. Gotcha. Well, um, they've actually been getting an increasingly cold reception in national parks. Did you know there's a $5,000 fine if you fly a drone in a park? Did not know that. There is. And that would include all the national monuments, which there's like 350 of them. Essentially, 84 million acres in the United States. If you fly a drone, you can get a $5,000 fine. That's interesting. Yes. And uh, basically, the, the National Park Service, they cite safety concerns, noise issues, things like that. Um, so I'll give you an example, then I'll ask you some questions. Apparently, there was a, a tourist from the Netherlands, and he, in uh, 2014 had flown a drone uh, to get some shots of a geyser. Mm. It was actually the Grand Prismatic Springs geyser. And I guess he lost communication with his drone and went down in the geyser and plugged the geyser up. <laughs> so, of course, the Park Service, they weren't happy. They fined him. Um, but they I don't know if they've been able to get the thermal feature to work right since <laughs> it's got plugged up by a drone. That's an right? epic Darwin fail <laughs> yeah, right there. Exactly. Now, that was a couple of years ago. <laughs> But there's been a lot of incidents in 2015 and 2016 because drones are getting cheaper and they're getting smaller and all that, right? All right. But um, I, just, I guess this is a first question. How do you feel about drones in national parks? You know, I, I just, I'm not a fan of them for multiple reasons, but mainly it's, it's kind of like taking a selfie. I'm not a big fan of the, the stupid 
long selfie sticks that people always extend. I saw that today. I mean, by the way. I, it's just they're evasive. You know, they're they're you know, it's more than anything, it's an annoyance. But um, I think it's also uh, a privacy issue. I mean, I don't want it, you know, to to be covered on someone's drone. You no, know, that's a good point. You know, it's especially. I mean, you know, what if my wife is in her uh, in in our bathroom taking a shower, and a drone just comes up to the window? I mean, or or on vacation. Uh, you know, it's just, or, or even worse, what if you're at the beach? And there's like some creepy dude flying a drone, you know, checking out all the all the women in their in their uh, bathing suits on the beach. Yeah, because it's a it's, public place, and they probably legally can, right? Yeah, and they legally can. So, I mean, that's a major privacy issue. I mean, I just I, I'm not a fan of them. I'm really not a fan of them. And it's and it's, you know, if you could fly a drone without a camera being mounted to it, then that's to me that's fine. But it seems like all the drones have cameras. So, so I will tell you that this this summer we did some hiking in Colorado, and uh, one of the guys I was with had a drone, and I, I mean, I swear, the footage was phenomenal. I mean, he got amazing shots, but um, it sounded as loud, it sounded like a lawnmower, man, it was loud. Um, so, I, you know, I, I, I see both sides, but let, let me ask you a couple questions, though, because here's where it gets tricky. What if you could use a drone to um, manage or track wildlife in a national park or forest or whatever well i mean you can I, I think it would be easier to track them by just doing what they're doing now where they shoot them with a tranquilizer dart and then they put a tracking device on them well what if you could use a drone to save someone's life they fall off the canyon we we're just hiking on the rim today someone slips over you could send a drone down to see like or, or you know where to drop supplies or something yeah, along yeah, those yeah. lines i mean that yeah that that is a a very useful um method of use but you know just any joe blow flying a drone i mean to to me if it almost seems like you should have a license to to fly one well i think you have to now or at least you have to get them registered but yeah i don't know if you have to have a license well let me ask you this what what if you were sitting around a campfire and a drone came in for a quick shot uh i would probably get a rock out and and hit it (laughs) and start throwing rocks at it try to take it down what if what if it was your buddy that flew it at you then then the rock would be uh, going at my buddy (laughs) and not at the drone like dude (laughs) so anyway you know the listeners 2016 you can do some searches on the internet lots of incidents with drones in national parks and uh wildlife in wilderness areas so um Anyway, we'll go on a more positive note here. So, Fuller, the National Geographic Adventure of the Year. Male or female? You want to take a guess? National Geographic. Probably female. Correct. And more interestingly, she was a Sherpa in Nepal. Really? Which, I mean, I knew a lot of women worked on these, um, uh, well, I wouldn't call it a campaign, but um, adventures. What, what's the right word I'm looking for and I'm struggling to get? Uh, extreme expedition, right? So, I mean, obviously, a lot of women work on ex- these expeditions. There's been a number of women that have climbed ever, so it's not like I'm shocked that that, um, that there's female Sherpas out there. But this woman, whose name I don't know if I can really pronounce it, Pasang Lamu Sherpa Akita. Try and say that fast. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I, I, had, I had to actually think there for a minute to do it. But apparently, she got voted the um, Adventure of the Year. She was 15, and her parents were both killed. Oh, she had a six-year-old sister. She had to take care of her. And in in the middle of doing all this, you know, the the 2015 earthquake hits Nepal, which is discussed in um, the Surviving Everest podcast that I did a, a few podcasts ago. But um, anyway, I thought that was kind of cool, you know, that they gave the Adventure of the Year award to her. Um, I guess, what is the likelihood that uh, you'll be climbing any peaks in there, Fuller? I try not to put myself in uh, dangerous situations, so that would be uh, probably a 0 to 5% chance. I would say that, uh, that my, my chance is less than 0, although I thought it would be cool <laughs> to climb near it sometime, but... Anyway, so that happened uh, in January as well. So moving on to February. Um, now, technically, the movie came out in 2015. The movie The Reverend, 
right? But most people probably watched it in January or February because it came out like the last week. Right that's, the, that's the one with Leonardo DiCaprio and the, all that? Yes, correct. Okay. And it actually, you know, it was pretty big a news event this year because it, it chronicles the life of a guy named Hugh Glass that lived from 1783 to 1833. And he was a uh, trader, hunter, and explorer, trapper. Just one of these hardcore American frontiersmen, right? Which in, a, in an era that you don't want to live in. Yeah, basically. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, you know, they didn't know anything different back then. But you, you know the story, right? He gets mauled by a bear 200 miles from civilization. And civilization back there was an army fort, right? Right. To be specific, it was Fort Kiowa, which was on the Missouri River. And that was like the absolute closest point of any human civilization. I mean, when I say human, that's not totally accurate because there were a lot of Indian tribes out there at the time. But um, you saw the movie? I saw the movie. Thumbs up or thumbs down? Thumbs up. Big thumbs up. Yeah. And yeah. why do you say that, just out of curiosity? You know, I love the uh, nature aspects of it. I mean, just the, the way that it was filmed. Uh, um, my favorite scene was when they, was actually at the beginning of the movie where they are track, uh, tracking the moose. You know, they're going for the pelts. I think it was an elk, right? Or I think, yeah, yeah it was yeah. a moose or an elk. And uh, they're um, hiking through... Um, the marsh area, and to me, it's just it was really well shot. So um, it almost felt like you were there uh, in, in the woods with them. So uh, I really like the nature pieces of it. Um, I mean, it was a very very violent movie. Yes, <laughs> but uh, accurate. Uh, you know, but it, it, every it, but every time it had a pause, it, it went straight back to nature. You know, and. I just thought it was really, really well done. Yeah, nature was a, was a huge part of the movie, you know. I mean, yeah. almost the nemesis of the main character. But um, how how accurate do you think the movie was? Because I did some research on Hugh Glass. You know, it, it's Hollywood, so I'm sure they had to amp it up a little bit to make it entertaining. But I'm sure, what? I would think maybe 30%, maybe 40% was historically accurate. Yeah. And they, yeah. I mean, it was probably a little more accurate than that. They definitely took liberties. The, the real event happened in the summer. Yeah. Um, and pretty much the entire movie is focused in the winter, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I, I thought it was a phenomenal movie. I mean, it, it, it's pretty powerful. It but is. But the bear attack, you want to comment on the bear attack? Uh, it was um, it was painful to watch. I don't I don't think we're ruining the movie by disclosing that there's a bear attack, right? That's why he has to. Right. I mean, that is the the premise of the movie. I mean, so um, no, I don't think you're, we're giving anything away. But I mean, it's it was bad. I mean, it was exactly how I, I actually it was more accurate than I had originally thought a bear attack. You know, basically the bear hitting him and then walking away and then coming back. It, it, that seemed more realistic than what I thought it would be. You know, it's, I, I kind of knew what was going to happen going in. You know, I read about the uh, the movie before I saw it, and I was like, oh, my gosh, you know, this guy gets attacked by a bear. I wonder, you know, what that's going to look like. But uh, when you actually see it and see kind of how the the animal was reacting, it's like, wow, that's that kind of seems... Pretty kinda, real. Pretty real, yeah. and... By the way, that's that's probably one of the worst ways. But other than burning, that that's that's on my top ten list of don't die that way. Yeah, it didn't look good. <laughs> it did not look good at all. And then it looked the, pretty painful. And then the guy pretty much makes it two hundred miles to, to for help, right? You know, one thing that happened in real life that they don't show in the movie is that he eventually found some Indians that kind of helped him sort of recover, but. Um, yeah, I'm. I, I, without a question, I think if you and I were in the 1800s, we'd be dead. You know, yeah. there's no way we'd survive that. I'm not going to gut an animal and crawl inside, inside <laughs> it for warmth. You know, I'm not going to do the uh, the Luke Skywalker um, crawling inside of the Tauntaun move. I, I, I don't. I don't think that I would do that. No. But do you think? Let's just say if that, if that happened to you today. Let's say it happened to you today, and we were in grizzly country, we'd probably be carrying bear spray, and we might may have a personal locator beacon, but that might be a stretch. Right. You think we could that would sur- be a stretch. You think we could survive that? Being mauled by a bear and crawling out? Well, or just defending yourself against it, right? Uh, Although he, he did have a gun, though, and that didn't do him any good, did it? He didn't get a shot off in time. Well, I mean, even if you have a gun now, a days, and you shoot a bear, I think you're just going to piss him off. 
That's a good point. Because, <laughs> you know? I mean, if your round is like a 40 or even if you're carrying a 45, uh, it'll do some damage, but that bear's going to be on you as soon as you shoot it, you know? So, unless you have a high-powered rifle and it's a dead shot to the face, you know, the head or in the heart, no. <laughs> and he tried, and it obviously is why it yeah. got more angry and went after him. But anyway, a great movie. Agreed, a great movie for nature, great movie. Yeah, great na- movie. nature lovers, outdoor people. Absolutely. But, uh, yeah, that's not, not a one-way... It's something that I don't like to think about when I go hiking, for sure. <laughs> exactly. Just be prepared. Take some bear spray. That's right. And, and, and hang and hang your food up away from your tent. Yes. Absolutely. Cook away from your tent. Yeah. So, on the topic of wildlife, another big news event that happened uh, around the springtime was that the um, Isle Royal National Park, which is in Michigan, announced that they were going to try to uh, save the wolf population on the island. Mm. which has been there for a long time. Apparently the wolves um, either came across the ice. I don't think they would have swam. It was probably too far. They probably came across the ice in the winter, so they've populated the island for a long time. There's a lot of um, a lot of moose, and so uh, the wolf and the populations of the wolf and moose ebb and flow as the two you know, kind of coexist. But anyway, the, the wolves are in big trouble, and they're literally on the verge of dying out there. So, um, I mean, do you know where Isle Royal is? Are you familiar with that at all? I'm not, no, I don't, I'm not familiar with that. So it's basically on an island in the middle of Lake Superior. Okay. And you can get to it either from Minnesota or you can get to it from Michigan. It's super cool. Really awesome backpacking. You have like a 40 mile backpacking route. And, um, if you, if you like to canoe or kayak, there's really good canoe and kayaking trails there too. And you get on these little remote lakes. The fishing is phenomenal. I, I did a trip up there and. We've talked on a couple podcasts about our rail. Now, those are, that's a pretty cold lake, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the, the um, Lake Superior itself, I don't know if this is true, but you get on the inner lakes there and they tell you not to swim. Do you know why? I would imagine it, it would either be because of the water temperature or the currents. It's because of leeches. Ooh. Yeah. Really? Yeah. And I put my foot in the water when I was getting water for a campsite and I could literally see those little bastards swimming right at me. I mean, it was like, Oh my God. But it's wow. Pretty, yeah. It's pretty wild. I would not have guessed that. Yeah. But, um, well, I guess the first question is how do you feel about the reintroduction of wolves or, or maybe trying to save the wolf pack there? You know, I actually saw a, um, a national Ge- geographic, um, documentary of how they were reintroduced to the, uh, in, to Yellowstone and how it actually, um, helped the ecosystem. And, uh, I mean, I, I'm not even going to be able to touch on, you know, the extent of, you know, the, of how they explained it. But, um, you know, the, basically with them in the pecking order again, um, uh, a lot of the streams that had been dammed up by beavers, I mean, it was, you know, it's, it's one of those, um, what do you call it, the, the, the cycle of life where, they go and eat certain animals, and then those animals die, and the other animals feed on them. But it affected the all the way down the chain. It affected the beaver population to where they were under under better control. Right. And so the river flowed better, and it actually brought back some of the natural. Uh, I think it was like the wheatgrass or something that that um, grew along it, and it actually helped the ecosystem of the park when the wolves were. Uh, reintroduced, which you would never have guessed. Yeah, I, but, be- I believe the word you were looking for was ecology and ecosystem. You just hit it there, but yes. Yeah. Well, there you go. So yeah, yeah. there it is. So, uh, but it was it was really really interesting to see how the entire ecosystem was affected by one animal being uh, reintroduced. I mean, I get it. I understand farmers around the park. I can understand why they get really it's, upset about, it's about mainly, that. It's mainly ranchers that have sheep. Or ranchers, yeah. yeah. I, I can understand why they would be upset about it. But, um, you know, other than that... In this case, though, it's an island, and there's it's all parkland, so there's not really ranchers that you're contending with. Mm-hmm. Now, were you aware that uh, they introduced reintroduced wolves in the Smokies? I did not know that, no. Yeah, they actually reintroduced them um, in the 90s. And in December 1998, they had to pull the plug on the uh, program. And it, it wasn't that, you know, there was a huge public outcry or that a lot of uh, p- 
people in the surrounding area had a problem with the wolves. It was just biology. The, the wolves were not surviving. Um, they were they were just they were not able to adapt wherever they brought them from to the Smokies environment. So they eventually trapped them and um, pulled the last few animals out. So there's unfortunately, you know, I, I actually think it's kind of cool that there's wolves in the parks, but the, you will no longer find them in the Smokies. Although they were successful at reintroducing elk in the Smokies. And I was up there just last January and literally drove into a kind of lefty uh, visitor center, which is just north of Cherokee, mm-hmm. and uh, the Harris Casino there, which you would be entertained by. But there were probably 40 elk, and I mean, I probably saw 60 wild turkeys at the same time. I mean, it, it was pretty wow. cool. So it's pretty awesome to live um, only a couple hours from the Smokies in a big city like Atlanta and have that kind of wildlife roaming around in the east. And I'm but, sure the hunters dig it as well. <laughs> yeah. Well, they can't hunt They can't hunt them in the national parks. They'd have to wander off. But Well, that's the whole thing, though. I mean, if they're out hunting deer and other other game, I would imagine if they stumbled upon one, they, they'd be pretty stoked to, yeah. uh, to shoot one. Even though I'm not a hunter, it's just uh, I, I could see why they, they, they would be attracted to that. Yeah, just to give you some quick stats on the, the wolf released in the Smokies, 37 were released, and of the 33 pups born, only four made it. Really? So I hope the, the effort in the Isle Royal Park works, because that was natural. I don't think they were... Mm-hmm. I don't think humans originally put them there. They came across the ice, but it, you know it is kind of a shame to see them go. Well, it is. So moving on to May, kind of getting into the uh, early summer here... Um, did you hear about the woman, and this actually happened in 2013, but they just released the autopsy in, in uh, 2016. They didn't find her for two years, but she went missing in Maine, right near where you and I hiked. Yeah. Well, I remember we, I think we, we talked about that once before. So Yeah, she was 66 years old. Her name was, uh, I guess they called her Jerry, but Jerry Largay, if I said that correctly, um, in, in July of 2013, she went missing near Sugarloaf Ski Area, where we had hiked. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hiked with you, and then I actually had hiked that area two weeks before she went missing with my son and my family. But um, yeah, I think the first question is, that train's pretty hardcore, right? Yeah, it's, <laughs> it is, it, it's tough. I mean, it, especially if it's raining, it, it's a tough area to hike. A lot of bouldering, a lot of rock. Are you surprised she got lost? I guess that's the question. Um, I could see it because of all the rocks. If you kind of made made the wrong turn, and I, I, I could see it, especially if you were trying to hike in bad weather, or uh, if there was snow, or you know, if you were socked in and poor visibility. Because again, there's a lot of rock, uh, a lot of rock there, and it's. It's pretty well marked. I remember that. I remember the blazes being pretty pretty well marked. But I mean, if you got turned around due to low visibility, yeah, I, I could definitely see that. Well, and there there are some side. I mean, there's obviously always side trails and forest road trails. Mm-hmm. That, you know, uh, apparently she got off the trail to go to the bathroom and apparently got turned around and got lost. She did have her equipment with her, and it, it wasn't like she wasn't experienced. She had hiked all the way up there from uh, Harper's Ferry. West Virginia. So she, you know, had been on the trail for a long time and her husband had been in contact with her and then she just went dark. But, um, but in this day and age, what I don't understand is if you're hiking the trail and you're doing long distances like that, why don't you have a locator? Why don't you have, you know, something, you know, um, an emergency beacon. Well, on the, I, would, I just, I just don't get that. I, don't, I mean, it, it's not that expensive to have one. I so, so I don't disagree with you, but here's what I would say. So, you know, I, I have done the Appalachian Trail, mm-hmm. and for the most part, the Appalachian Trail is you're going to have cell reception most of the time, and uh, I really don't think a locator beacon's necessary on the Appalachian Trail. If you were doing maybe like the Continental Divide or something more westerly, I, I would maybe agree with you. But I can tell you, I, if I was hiking the trail, if I was going to start it today and hike from Georgia to the Maine, I would absolutely have one. Well, now, she was able to get some texts out if, for a period yeah. of time. Um, and and it, it was able to text her husband and say she was lost. So they immediately started a rescue effort, but they couldn't find her. Now, here's what's interesting. You probably don't know. Yeah. They eventually found her on 
U.S. Navy land where they do um, SEER training, which is like the Navy, I guess, uh, you know, a pilot gets shot down. They teach the pilot how to survive and how to get back, right? And navigate out. And yeah. it, interestingly, it, in two years, like, no one stumbled onto her on this Navy piece of property where they were doing SEER training. And I've got a friend of mine that flies for Delta Airlines mm-hmm. who I had this conversation with, and he didn't do a SEER training there. But he did say, like, hey, you know, when, when you're in SEER training, you, you're trying to avoid people. You're trying to avoid detection, right? So you're not necessarily going to be in a situation where you would stumble onto a campsite and there'd be somebody there. Because so, yeah, I guess it, it's it, the training is you're dropped in. It's a hostile environment. Avoid all people. Yeah, right, right you exactly. Know, evade and escape. So I could see that. Yeah, it took two years. Uh, they actually found her in October 2015, but they just released the autopsy re- results. You know, it's kind of sad to hear that she she probably lived for, they think she lived for at least a month mm-hmm. before she just kind of succumbed to, to, to wilderness. But um, but they, they just released the results um, at, at, the end of, uh, at the end of 2016. But uh, it's sad, but I mean, it's just with technology, the way you have it today, I mean, there's so many different options to be safe. I mean, you can have a satellite phone if you have the money. You can have a GPS. You can have, you know, there's so many things at your disposal that can keep you from getting lost. I mean, it, it's sad. It's just, you know, it's like if, if you're properly equipped, that's not going to happen. I, I agree with you. And if I think if you're out west, the, the people would probably be prepared. Like, I think on the Appalachian Trail, though, you're so close to civilization a lot of time that most, most of your thru-hikers are not going to carry that stuff. They're going to they, carry. They, they don't want the weight. I they don't want that. the weight. They're going to carry a cell phone. Yeah, and it, I mean, her cell phone almost worked for her. She was getting texted. Well, oh, almost. well, I know in Georgia, uh, you know, we get I get five bars. I get better coverage on top of the mountain on the Appalachian Trail than I do in my house. Yeah. yeah. So you know, there you go. There you go. So, Thermrider, before we move on to our next topic. Um, do, you, do you want to tell the studio audience about our experience tonight in Grand, Grand Canyon National Park? We had. Uh, for the listeners, we had two park rangers banging on our door about, what, an hour and a half ago? <laughs> it was kind of interesting. So we're at the uh, Yava Pay Lodge. I'm sure I totally butchered that, but I think it's, that's how you pronounce it. So we're just hanging out. Uh, had been uh, hiking all day, so uh, we were just relaxing and uh, and drinking a beer. and uh, Or two. Or two. And had the window open because uh, we had left the heat on and it was just... <laughs> Blazing hot, oh right? my god! And in our room, so it, it was like walking into a sauna. So we actually had the door cracked open, and we see the park ranger walking by, and it's like, okay, that's kind of strange. And then we hear him knocking on the door next door, and there was no answer. And then they started knocking on our door. So we opened the door, and they ask us, uh, "Hey, have you seen the neighbor?" The, the neighbor, and it's like, well, no, we've been hiking all day, and. We really didn't see anybody there last night, so maybe they checked in after us or whatever. So they said, okay. And uh, so we said, why? You know, something we should be looking out for? And they were kind of evasive on it. They basically told us to look out for Bigfoot. Yeah. I mean... (laughs) There were were two rangers for the record. But yeah, the fact that there's two rangers showing up, knocking on doors, and then they drive off. Uh, and then later on, I saw, I mean, it was probably 30 minutes later, I go out, uh, go outside and I saw their truck parked like they were casing the place, Yeah, you know, and, uh, they eventually moved on, but, uh, it kind of begs the question, Hey, uh, what were they looking for? Well, it's only seven twelve. The night's not over yet, right? Yeah. And this is next door to us. <laughs> yeah. So well, pod- podcast listeners pay attention cause you could help us solve a crime before yeah, the night is over. Well, it's like, uh, well, I think we need to stay out late tonight, man. <laughs> we need to go out for dinner and maybe stay out. I don't, I don't know if I want to he- be here when something goes down. So yeah. Well, interesting, interesting part to our day. Hey, so let's get back to 2016 news events. Okay. Versus uh, 2017, like, live news events that could go down on this podcast, right? Right. Uh, so, you and I talked about this, right? This this is in Yellowstone National Park. Mm-hmm. There was a, uh, uh, I, th- I believe it was a couple, but two people from Quebec, Canada. And um, they were in the park, and this baby bison comes up to their car and is basically huddling and shivering next to their engine, right? 
And so they are concerned for the health of this bison, and they throw it in the back of the car. They had an SUV. I think it was a rental. And they take it to the ranger and say, hey, this bison's in trouble. You know, can you help it? And the ranger's, like, disgusted, like, that they picked it up and gives them, like, a fine. I think it was, like, a $100 fine or something. But the sad thing about the whole thing is that um, the the ranger, uh, really the team of rangers and the wildlife people there, they tried to reintroduce the bison to the the herd and to the mother, and they rejected the bison, and unfortunately they had to put the bison down. So there was a huge backlash on social media about this event, not because the people that did it had taken a lot of pictures. Some other tourists had taken pictures of this thing going down and put it on Facebook and you know, huge blow up. Um, but anyway, my question to you is, have you ever put a baby bison in the back of your SUV before? You know, actually, I was thinking, I am so sad on this trip that I did, was not able to pick up an animal and put it in the back seat of my car. Because <laughs> that's what I was really hoping to do on this trip. No, I mean, it's ridiculous. It's You know, let nature be nature. I understand... You know, the bleeding hearts up there, they don't want to see a baby animal injured, but come on. Seriously, if there's a predator going after a herd, they're going after the baby and they're going after the sick, okay? That is basically how the herd is cold, and it's actually a good thing. It, it keeps the herd from being unhealthy, So and, I mean, it, and, and it strips away disease. I mean, it, basically, they go for the slowest in the herd. You just don't do that. That's very Darwin of you, by the way, in your statements. But yeah, I would agree with you. So, what what is the right punishment, though? I mean, you know, they meant they meant well. They obviously made a mistake. What's the right punishment? And hey, let me just say this first. I watched the video, and for the listeners in in YouTube, Mister Thermrider, you can yeah. go online and pull the video down. And the the bison just comes across this very cold stream, yeah, with the herd. And um, you know, I can understand why the bison was in distress. Totally, yeah. Um, but what what is the right punishment for that? You know, to me, it's it's someone that's trying to do the right thing. They just approached it the wrong way. So it, to me, it's educating. You know, I, I would have. I think the best way to, uh, that that they probably could have handled it is basically gave them a, a slap on the wrist and say, "This is why you cannot do this, and this is why we have rules in place," and slap them with a, you know a fine, but. It, it would be a small fine. You and know, that's, like, that's what it was. It was a hundred bucks. Yeah. A hundred dollar fine. And I think that that's probably the best way to handle it. The bite, it kind of sucks for the bison though. Cause it lost its life, you know, but, well, but I mean, that's nature. I mean, if they weren't there, if they weren't dry, if they had not been there at that point in time, if they were not driving, he, it, the bison would have lost its life. Yeah. And so they were interfering with, with that process, which is a natural process. I mean, it sucks that they, you know, that they saw it because obviously it affected them in a in a negative way. Um, but it's nature. That's you know, that's, it's nature. It's, it's part of nature. So, so hey, moving on and some of these topics, and I'm I'm trying to get a mix of them here. But the, you know, obviously, what makes news sometimes is morbid or mm-hmm. disturbing, and a little bit more disturbing. And this happened May twelfth of this year, a 64-year-old hiker was found tied to a tree in the Blue Ridge Parkway. She'd been sexually assaulted. Um, Apparently it happened near Craggy Gardens, which is a pretty popular stop on the parkway for for both just, you know, car tourists and also for hikers. Uh, And then there was a dispatcher that received a call that the hiker was overdue. They sent some people out and they, they were able to find her. Have you ever spent any time on the Blue Ridge Parkway? Yes, I have. Hiking or just sort of kind of being a drive-through tourist. Uh, hiking, yeah. So yeah, I mean, <clears throat> and if you haven't, for the listeners, hiked the Blue Ridge Parkway in Virginia, and some of it goes through North Carolina, I believe. Yeah, um, I, and I, I hiked the uh, North Carolina section. Yeah, so. I mean, it's beautiful. It's really pretty. It's it's well developed, you know, in terms of. Mm-hmm. Well, the views there are just fantastic. Yeah, exactly. That's where I was going with that. They got a lot of. Places where you can pull out and there's a nice view, um, but you're never that far from the road and the trail. The trail and the road are always fairly close together, you know. Yeah, you're probably what the the furthest distance is probably what maybe ten miles. Yeah, 
I mean, you're, it's pretty close to all, to all the trailheads. Yeah, you know, I mean, I guess so it makes it easier for crime to occur, right? Because you're not far from cars. Yeah, I mean, it's the same with neighborhoods. I mean, if you're if you live in a neighborhood that's close to an interstate, your your crime rate's going to go up just because of the ease of access. So, you know, with the trail, it's the same exact thing. I mean, you know, if you're close to a uh, a major um, road, then you know, the, unfortunately, people can prey on you. Well, and so really, this the, I guess where I'm going with this whole topic is, I mean, what do you do safety-wise to protect yourself, though, so that, you know, something like that doesn't happen to you, right? I mean... Well, I hike with a gun, so uh, <laughs> there's, there's there's that. <laughs> no, I mean, and that's the thing, is, uh, uh, you know, if... And, and that's probably, for a lot of people, carrying a gun is not something that they would be comfortable with, so um, if you're not comfortable carrying a, a firearm, hey, that I get it. Uh, but a gun could be used against you too, right? Absolutely. But I tell you what, uh, pepper spray, um, you, you spray it, it, it's going to take you out too. But, uh, you know, you, you shoot somebody in the eyes with pepper spray, they're done. They, there's no way. I mean, you'll blind them, temporarily blind them. And there's no way they're going to have any interest in sexually assaulting you after they get hit with pepper spray. Yeah. I would agree. I mean, you could just buy mace too. I, I, you know, honestly, I hiked with mace when I threw hiked. Yeah, and I usually don't hike on my weekend hikes with Mace, but I mainly carried it for wild dogs because I mean, when you're back in the woods, even on the East Coast, I mean, man, you've got wild dogs and stuff coming up to you sometime. Yeah, you want that, and honestly, with all the bear attacks in Georgia, I mean, you want you want some bear spray too. Yeah, well, yeah, especially now, it's it seems like the. Uh, I mean, how easy is it just to put, put it put, just to clamp it on your your backpack on the on the straps on the front of your backpack? where it's as easy to reach as your water, and it doesn't weigh anything. Yeah, I mean, I think probably more importantly is just the, probably the best thing you do is just not hike alone. And I'll be the first to admit, I, I, you've definitely hiked alone. I've hiked alone a lot. So. And there, there's a lot of peace and um, enjoyment in hiking alone. But probably the in terms of safety, the best thing you can do is to not hike alone, right? Well, the, it's I think it's fine to hike alone as long as... Um, you're either you're going to be meeting up with a group. So I know you know from your experience, especially. Um, typically, when people hike the Appalachian Trail, especially if they're going to go start to finish, you know they there are certain dates that everybody leaves, and then there's groups that go. Yeah, you know, hang with the group. I hang, hang with the group. I mean, and it's not so much hey hike alone for the day, but at night when you're camping, meet up with a group. See, but I don't know if that would have helped them here. This lady here, though, because I mean, you know, yeah, she was by it, herself during the day. But if you're hiking, if they, if you, you say, "Listen, I'm going to catch up with you," and I'm hiking ten miles, but I'm going to catch up with you tonight, or this is where I'm going to be. You just talk to the group, and they are, they know where to expect you, and then all of a sudden you don't show up. They're going to go looking for you. Immediately. Well, so what she did right, though, was, I mean, people knew where she was going and when she was expected to be back, and she didn't come back at the right time, and they knew where she was, yeah. and that's why she was found. Yeah. So that was one thing she did that was absolutely right. Right. Um, so which, that, is, which is also good advice, right? Yeah, so, I mean, she did it the right way. The only thing that she didn't do is, it sounds like she didn't have protection on her person, where she, did, she probably didn't have mace. Or yeah. pepper spray, where I don't may, know. maybe it would have made a difference. Yeah, I don't know the ins and outs of the story, but, um, but anyway, I th- the, the, the interesting topic, something that went down this year. Let me yeah. shift gears on you. The, the deal is, I hate to hear that because it. Real, I don't want anybody to be afraid of hiking, and you know, it's it's definitely gives hiking a black eye when you hear about that. Kind well, of I stuff. mean, you go out there for peace and tranquility, and you know. Yeah. Sanctuary, and you know, it's unfortunate. Yeah. Let, let me shift gears on you with another interesting topic, though. This happened in June. Casey Knockett, probably not a name you know, but you've probably heard the story. 21 year old woman from San Diego. Um, do you know where I'm going with this? Mm-hmm. I do. Do you know what she did? Go ahead. Explain it. <laughs> no, please, please. Uh, I'll let you start and I'll back you up. No, go ahead. Yeah. So, little shift in gears here. Casey Knockett apparently was an artist, and mm-hmm. she decided she was going to take her artwork to the um, national park system. 
uh, and decided to paint on many rock formations in seven <laughs> national parks in a 26-day period. Um, and I guess what really did her in was she took a bunch of selfies of her doing the paintings on these rocks. And, uh, of course, there was a huge backlash, as you would expect. A lot of people called it graffiti, and if you saw... <laughs> I should show A lot you. of people? I mean, come on. Yeah, it, it is graffiti. Well, you actually should see some of the stuff. But um, she just got sentenced uh, in 2016 for... And this all went down in 2014, but she just got sentenced. So... Do you want to take a stab at what her sentence was? Well, if it were, if I were the judge, I would say, okay, you get uh, 200 hours of community service, and you are going to go and scrape every piece of paint off of every, basically anything that can be found on the trails, and that would be her sentence, is, is going and basically removing all the artwork. And then when all of her artwork was done, hopefully there would be time left, and I would have her going and, and, and covering up um, the uh, spray painting on bridges, man. I'd have her working on the roads. <laughs> it's like, don't be a. Well, I'm, I'm. You know what's funny, man? Is she actually? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be in control and uh, and uh, hold my language. So. You, you know what's funny though, uh, Thurman it's So stupid. You know what stupid. her sentence was? You know what yeah. her sentence was? It's two hundred hours of community service. Nice. Yeah, you called it. Like they, they, they didn't specify how that was to be spent, but um, she's got like two years of probation too. Oh, I, I can tell you, I would, I know, I would say two hundred hours, and then this is how that time is going to be spent. <laughs> have you ever, have you ever car- carved your initials into a tree? No. Okay, good man. I'm just checking, just making sure. I'm Never. Keep, I'm, I'm keeping you. Keep me honest. Yeah, keep now me honest. I have chopped down a tree to burn it, though. I mean, come on. It was dead, right? No. Oh. I don't think I'd be admitting to that. But it was on my land that I owned. We should move on. <laughs> <laughs> and it was and it was a it was a very big tree, it was a very old tree, and I didn't like the shade that it was providing. So Okay, that sounds a little better. We'll take that. <laughs> We're gonna move on to July of twenty sixteen now, another big news event. Um, which is extremely timing because it happened in the Grand Canyon and you and I sit in the Grand Canyon right now after having hiked all day yes, on the Rim Trail and some others. Uh, but it, basically, the topic is really about selfies, because this woman died because there was... I thought a, we already covered selfies. Well, you started on that, but we, you haven't, we haven't really talked about this news okay. event. Okay. So the lady's name was Colleen Burns, and um, she died after falling off the edge of a cliff. But, you know, in, in this situation, it was a little different, though. She was with a group, and they were trying to do a group shot, and she was... Um, I guess somebody was trying to squeeze in in the group shot with her, and she was trying to step over to let the person in the group shot, right? So, I mean, it's a little different. I mean, it's not like it was just her holding the camera up for herself on a selfie. But, you know, unfortunately, she got tripped up, and she fell back into the canyon, and, um, and you know, obviously not good for her. But I guess the question is, you know, social media is huge. Everybody, I mean, we did it on this trip. We posted pictures to Facebook and, tr- and Twitter, right? Um, not me. I don't, I don't do uh, Facebook yeah, or right. Twitter. No. I'm not a big fan of social media. Again. <laughs> but there's been a lot of people that have been injured taking selfies. And this is a little different because this well, what is... What about the really... guys that were that have been climbing buildings and taking selfies at the top of buildings? Have you heard about that? That was in the news, too. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean it's a it's a it's a big issue, man. Have you have you ever taken a selfie on a backpacking trip? No, never, never. You've always had me shoot the shot of you, or exactly. You know why? I don't like selfies. I don't like the. I don't like. <sighs> anyway, I, I'm I'm not a big fan of social media. Number one, and again, uh, taking a selfie might lead to eventually a selfie stick. And I'm not a big fan. No. <laughs> so, I mean, the reason that, that I brought this up is because there were a bunch, and you can do a search on Google. I mean, there was story after story of people in Peru and, and um, Australia taking a selfie and falling off a ledge or something bad happening, right? So um, It's a Darwin moment, man. I, th- I think it's God's way of saying we're going we're gonna to weed out the, the weak guys. If you're gonna t- if you're gonna be so stupid to put yourself in harm's way to take a picture, 
sorry, I'm not trying to be, you know, insensitive, but yeah. Well, in this case, in this case, <laughs> this woman, it's, her situation was a little different, but it was on the South Kebab Trail, or Kebab, or however you pronounce it. We were it. over there today. Yeah, we were there today, and it's yeah. one of the major quarter trails down to the uh, canyon. I mean, she was a, with a group. That was a little different situation. Yeah. But I mean, the but reason, I saw some selfie sticks that kind of dude, pissed me off today. I saw a few of man holding them out, like standing right back like, there. Yeah, it's it's annoying, man. Especially when you're trying to walk by and they, it like they, and they take up the entire freaking trail to do this selfie, and you're you have to sit there and stop and wait because and wait because they've got their stupid selfie stick out. No, I hear you. I hear it's you. so annoying, man. It's like, excuse me, can you please? Take that out, you know, off the trail so I can get around you. Is it more annoying than a drone that sounds like a lawnmower? I'm not a big fan of drones either. <laughs> I've already told you that, man. It's this. It, it honestly, it's it's a, an invasion of, of space, man, and it's it, it's a privacy issue. It's like, listen, this this trail is open to the public, and you are diminishing my quiet enjoyment. By by doing that, I think I think there's a lot of people that fear that feel that way, and I mean that's why the park service has stepped in and you know yeah, it's it's it's, it's, it's ridiculous. So I mean, if it's done the right way, I mean if you I mean in certain situations like on a holiday, yes I get it, but when you're in a public area and you're hindering someone's enjoyment, it's not cool. I totally agree. All right, so uh, Mr. Thermrider, we're moving on here. We're going to talk about September now. Did you know there was a new speed record set on the Appalachian Trail? No. Tell yeah, me all. It seems about like it. every couple years there's a new speed record, but on September 18th at 3:38 p.m. or a.m., so middle of the night, uh, a professional ultra runner and Red Bull athlete, by the way, named Carl Speedgoat Meltzer. Finished the Appalachian Trail at Springer Mountain, where you've been. Once or twice. Many times. And set a new record uh, of 45 days, 22 hours, and 38 minutes. That's amazing. Yeah, he, he um, started his run, and it was a supported run. So that means that um, he's basically got a crew that's backing him. He's not carrying all his gear, right? He, he, I would imagine he's probably not carrying anything. He's probably yeah. wearing running shoes, not hiking shoes. Yeah, and yeah. He's probably got a little fanny pack with water and some snacks, but yeah. probably a poncho or something. Or a, you know, rain waterproof you're shell. Moving. He is moving. Yeah, I mean, you're 47 miles per day was his pace. 47 per day. My best pace is about 14 miles a day on the, on the AT. Yeah. I, you know, if you get yourself in shape, you could probably do a little more than that. But Well, I've always carried packs, so. But he was doing 47 but, 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 miles. Yeah, but even without a pack, there's no way I would never, I would, I would never hit 47 miles, ever. Even with, but without a pack, there's just no way. Well, so let me. It's crazy. Here's a question for you. What, what's your vibe? They call it the FKT, the fastest known time. I mean, what's what's your vibe on these like ultra marathoners and setting records on the? Well, on these you trails? know, I, I can understand why they do it. You know, they it's all about records for them. They they want to be the fastest runner in a marathon. They want to be the fastest extreme sports. Blah 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 blah. But to me, um, if you're if you're running that fast or you're hitting the trail that fast, you're basically missing the point. I mean, do you go to the trail, the hike to basically unplug, right? Yeah. And by, you know, hitting it like I'm going to approach it like it's a marathon and try and get through it as fast as possible, you're missing basically everything that it has to offer. I mean, you're, you're not taking in the views. You're not taking in nature. You're not... You, you, you're not stopping and saying, wow, this is a really cool spot. I'll probably never be here again. So I'm just, you know, I'm just going to, I'm going to spend the day here. I'm just going to kick back and spend the day here and just really absorb it in. And then, and then, and then I'll move on. I think their motivations are completely different than yours and I's. And probably mm-hmm. most people listen to the podcast, right? I mean, we're yeah. out there to absorb and relax and enjoy. and Unplug. Yeah. So one thing I thought that was interesting is, the person that had the record um, the year before, actually, that, that had set the record, 
um, was Scott Jurek, and he was also an ultra marathon runner. And he and Carl were friends, and he actually supported Carl on this run to break his record. Wow. But That's Carl impressive. had supported him the year before, so I thought that was interesting. But um, one thing that we should talk about Jurek for a minute, because he had done it in 2015... So he had a male cheerleader, is what you're telling me, behind him. Yeah, well, I mean, he had a buddy that was up in the middle. But um, he had gone the opposite direction, and, and you've hiked in Maine, and you know how insanely difficult it is, right? Oh, yeah. So I think one of the things that um, that uh, Meltzer figured out was, hey, I should go southbound, because then I'm finishing with the easiest terrain last. And yeah, I, I, I definitely agree with that. I think north is south, if you're trying to hit it for speed... It's definitely easier than south and north. Yeah, but when your body's not spent. But uh, but I would argue Georgia's one of one of the harder states just because of all the up and down, right? So I, know, I wouldn't call Georgia easy by any means. Well, there's Blood Mountain, and uh, yeah, that that's just a tough area. So Thermrider, am I going to see you trying to set any AT speed records anytime soon? That is not in my design. No. Yeah. Negative. How about any uh, marathons? Thirteen point one. No. No, and definitely not. I'm not. I'm not even seeing a, a 5K in your future. <laughs> uh, it'll be a slow 5K. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, Thurm Ryder, you've been a good companion in the Grand Canyon, and mm. uh, thanks for being on the show tonight. Sweet. Yeah, and we'll we'll have to do it again soon. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to the Into Backpacking Podcast. This is your host, Bird Shooter, wishing you the best for your travels on the trail. To subscribe to this show, visit iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app. And give us a thumbs up or a positive comment while you're there. You can also download shows directly from intobackpacking.com. Just click the podcast tab on the main menu. Music for this show was provided by Jerris under a Creative Commons license and is titled Hillbilly Anarchy. This show is a production of N2 Backpacking and is copyrighted by N2 Ventures Inc. For more information on this podcast or to provide feedback or comments on this or future shows, please visit us at N2Backpacking.com. That's the letter N, the number two, backpacking.com.